You are listening to the New Street X podcast, where we interview people who understand the intersection of physical and digital collectibles. We're entering an exciting world in the collectible space that involves things like sneakers, NFTs, trading cards, fashion, sports, pop culture, and much, much more. And these things are coming together. So we're here to talk to people that understand that, people that are really building the future of collectibles around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the New Street X podcast. I'm excited to have here today Nicolas Lejeune. He's a CEO and co-founder of Courtyard. So Courtyard stores physical collectibles like trading cards, sneakers, watches, etc. in secured vaults, creating 3D representations of these assets, and then minting them on the blockchain as connected collectible NFTs. Really great building a bridge between physical and digital. So I'm excited to have him here today. Welcome, Nicola. Thanks so much for coming. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, for sure, man. Now, I've, I know you've got a very interesting background doing a lot of cool stuff with Courtyard. But maybe let's say, like, let's say I just met you on the street today right now. How do you describe Courtyard, what it does. And also, I'm really interested to know, like, what's the founding story? What was the inspiration? How did the company come about? So at the high level, Courtyard is essentially trying to bring physical assets on chain. So we're trying to do the, the essentially the bridge between physical and digital. So to put it very simply, we take high value assets that people collect, such as like sneakers, trading cards, watches, and so on. We store them in secured vaults. And we create a digital copy, a digital twin, if you want, of all of those assets as on the blockchain as NFTs. Those NFTs are essentially a proof of ownership of the physical assets. You can trade that NFT. Whoever owns that NFT or the last owner of the NFT can at any point in time come to us and say, I want to redeem the physical asset underlying my NFT. We do everything from KYC, tax compliance, and we use shipment to ship to their location. So one of the things that's a bit different as well is we work with a company called Brinks, B-R-I-N-K-S, which is essentially, I like to say, if you don't know who Brinks is, just look next time you see an armor truck on the street. That's that's probably Brinks. It's, a, it's the leader, leading company worldwide for security and storage. Very cool. And I know I've, I've talked to a few companies that, you know, take different parts of the like kind of stack or value chain, if you will. It sounds like like Courtyard offers everything from like, let's say I have a trading card, send it to you, everything from like authentication to KYC to storing and obviously partnering with Brinks and the vaulting kind of things. And then is Courtyard also a marketplace where like, let's say I receive the NFT and then if I were to want to trade or sell the NFT, which represents, I guess, my, my ownership of that card, is the marketplace element also something that Courtyard facilitates? Yeah, definitely. It's a very interesting question. It changed quite a bit over the last few days. I mean, a few few months, of course, like the, the crypto ecosystem has changed quite a bit with the with the bear market and the NFTs going down, right? So initially, we wanted to be more of an infrastructure where you would just like digitize with us. You can trade on any marketplace because the advantage of using blockchain is that you can use that asset on any NFT marketplace traded. You can use a specific protocol for lending, for collateralization, for fractionization, and so on. Now we see that it's not like there's 50 more users on OpenSea every day, right? The market is kind of like stagnant in that sense. And so we're trying to really position ourselves to Web2 collectors that are not specifically familiar with with crypto. So in my, I mean, we, we really see the value of blockchain for interoperability. Our goal is to make it so that you don't actually need to use blockchain if you like, you don't actually need to see that you're using blockchain if you don't want to. So everything from account abstraction, where we would pay the gas fee on behalf of the users, 
everything from like chat payment and so on. So that's something we're working towards so that Web2 collectors, they don't care about NFTs, right? Like they just want to have a system to trade instantly. And so we we're building that marketplace as well on our own. Got it. Got it. Okay. So it sounds like if I were to, again, in that hypothetical example, like send you my physical trading card, have it vaulted, I receive a digital version. Maybe it's not even branded as an NFT for the sake of, you know, like my own like benefit of not calling it that. And, you know, we call those connected collectibles. So the connected collectibles is an NFT. I, I hate the word digital. So we, we call those connected collectibles. But yeah, you would get a connected collectibles in your wallet. You can trade it on our marketplace or, or on OpenSea as well, or on LooksRare, Blur, wherever people trade NFTs. But whoever is the last person who owns that NFT, who owns that connected collectible, would be able to say, I want to redeem the physical underlying asset. And then we would do KYC and then we do shipping and so on. Okay. 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 That makes sense. And and what was the the inspiration behind this? You know, like how did the company get started? And and, and sounds like you said, you know, things maybe changed a bit as naturally is the case, but like, what was the inspiration of how Courtyard came about? So when the, the boom of NFT started, so I was, I was still at Google, at YouTube, where I was essentially looking to, after seven years, I really wanted to launch a company. I initially had this idea of like Peloton for physical therapy, tried to convince some engineers to to do it with me. They didn't see much traction, right? And so I met this guy who, whenever I saw NFT, I saw the, like the link between physical and digital. I saw this way of like proving ownership digitally. It was the first time ever that you could prove ownership of something digital. And I thought of it as like, why don't we tie it back to something physical, right? But then we would need a, a trusted entity to hold those physical assets. And we literally thought of it as uh, who is the most trusted person in the world. And Brinks came up, right? So we literally called up Brinks, went up the ladder. We were a team of like pretty like tech people from, from good background, convinced them, went up the ladder, and they ended up investing in us, right? So that's how it, it kind of all started. It's kind of like adding up one after the other. And when you look back a year later, you... You realize like how far you've come from from that. So we work with their team to to set up processes and like SOPs, like standard operating procedure, how we call it, where they receive assets, they take scans and pictures of it and stuff like that. Got it. That makes sense. Now, I as you as you may know about New Street, you know we're interested in a lot of types of collectibles, whether it's physical, digital. Like we we are particularly focused on like sneakers, cards, and NFTs, but like covering eventually everything. Now. What about collectibles made the most sense for you here? Because if you think about the sort of like physical to digital, right? Like we could talk about tokenizing or creating NFT digital twins of everything. And I'm not saying this is all valid, but like the conversation could go where, you know, tokenizing real estate, right? You could talk about tokenizing cars, right? Collectibles make sense, but the the use cases of of creating an NFT version of something like, like art, right? Like that. It, the conversation of NFTs can be pretty wide. What about collectible specifically made you decide to focus on on that that like category? And and are there certain collectibles that you don't cover? You know, like if I were to like come to courtyard and be like, okay, I have a sneaker, I have a card. What are things that wouldn't be relevant for me to like come to courtyard to? Yeah. So we started with trading cards, specifically Pokemon cards, just because I grew up with Pokemon card, and there's a lot of collecting that's related to nostalgia, right? Initially, our target user were NFT trader. An NFT trader where, if you look at the demographic, is from like 24 to like 35 year old who had Pokemon card when he grew up. So there's a lot of nostalgia to that, right? So this is where we started with this, uh, with actually a very small um, cards are grid because you don't wear them. 
uh, it's not like a watch or a sneaker. People are used to hold them and we can actually, we're used to open packs. And so we, we kind of launch it with like this random, random element where you would open a pack and you don't know what card you would have. So everybody would pay $500. You get a card between like $150 to like $50,000 and you don't know what's behind it. And those packs are still closed. So if you go to courtyard.io, you will still find it, uh, still find some of those pack on that. So. Starting with cards, one category we, I think we will never go to is everything from spirits and wine, just because the, the legislation around like selling alcohol is very complex in various countries. Anything that makes sense to store in vault. I, I think real estate makes so much sense. I think it's still years ahead because in its government approval, there's so much money lobbying around, around like that area of like title ownership of houses. But I think it makes so much sense in the future. Maybe the last piece that I'm very excited about as well is anything around gold and commodities. I feel like there's a, a lack of trust in the banking system these days where people don't believe that their money is safe at especially a, a specific bank, right? We see with everything that happened with SVB and so on. And there's this sense of having more than an ETF where you see a number, but you see actually like this is my gold bar or this is my gold coin. And this is something that we're pretty excited about as well. Got it. And and I know like if you could help me understand this a bit more, like I saw that also like sneak sneaks or like sneaks NFT is something that courtyard lot. So that can you explain to me what, what that is and how like the sneaker use case kind of works there? Yeah. So sneaks was a brand that we spin off. It was more of a test. I mean, as a startup, we're trying so many different things to to like to test and see what the market relates to, right? It came up after everything we've seen with Artifact and Nike, where we really saw like a big overlap between sneakers and the NFT market. And so we thought of it as like, hey, people are interested in sneakers. We built this whole like sneaker brand where we would essentially buy sneakers in a digital in a digital form and you would get the connected collectible. So you would get the sneaker backed by the physical one. So we bought all of those sneakers on trusted platforms and marketplace just to make sure we, we were not going to deal with fakes, fake sneakers. We noticed that it should be more than just buying and receiving the sneaker because there was no upside, like the sneaker is not going to go much higher and so on. So we're actually relaunching, consolidating everything on Courtyard.io, which is really the hub for collector. We are relaunching a project with a blue chip, pro, a blue chip NFT project. That's going to happen. I think it's going to be announced next week. So we're, we're launching a, a blue chip project related to sneakers on this, but it needs to be fun. It needs to be, it needs to be that component that is more than just, I buy a sneaker, I go receive a digital sneaker. Got it. Now I, I think about, you know, some of these traditional, traditional quote unquote, like players in like the collectible space, right? Like, like I'm thinking about maybe marketplaces like PWCC or like marketplaces like StockX focus, you know, like sneakers, streetwear. I think about companies like Fanatics that are now creating digital versions of trading cards and the specific strategies are still kind of being decided and stuff or, or even like the modern NFT, like, uh, like autograph, you know, companies like that. Now, as I think about like the future of what Courtyard is trying to be, would Courtyard is, is your goal, I guess, to be like the preferred destination where like, you know, if I have cards or sneakers or whatever, and I theoretically maybe offered services to create digital versions of what I'm doing in the future, is the goal for Courtyard to be like the single best place for that? Or how would Courtyard interact with some of these other like existing, more traditional collectible spaces? I would say think of Courtyard as the link between the traditional marketplace and the blockchain. 
and we're, we're really the door between physical and digital. One thing that we, we set ourselves apart a bit is everything from 3D models as well. Like, so everybody loves what we do as a 3D model. If you look at the courtyard.io, there's tons of like super cool looking 3D model because in the digital space, we really believe like the 3D element of it needs to look and feel better. So it's actually funny, like I was at the conference last week, I actually talked to Josh Luber, like the founder of StockX around that, and he sees a similar vision and I talked to like Fanatics and PwC was there as well. So I would say, think of us as kind of like trying to bring value to the collectible space overall. Bringing value could be from just providing 3D model initially to your collection, you don't need to vault it and partnering with different companies that already vault there, right? It could be, and we talked to some big players there to provide a hook between their platform and the blockchain. So if you want to have them on the blockchain, and we know that if it's sell on eBay, we remove it from the blockchain, that's another option. And think of it as really, we see this as like trust, education, and fun. It needs to be fun. And so the hobby of collecting is moving towards a lot more of fun experiences. We see whatnot with like videos where you look at whatnot and you just see like breaks happening and it's just like so drowning, right? And I feel like there's a huge opportunity with the blockchain to provide those repacking experiences that are trans transparent, where you buy a pack and you don't know what's behind, but you know for a fact that the card is behind the pack and nobody can mess with it. And you know all the, the potential like outcomes of opening that back and stuff like that. Got it, got it. No, I, I like how, you know, it seems like you're very aware and interacting with all the different like players in the collectible space, again, ranging from like the traditional folks. So I'm sure some of the more like modern startups working on this, you know, one of the things that I, I find particularly interesting is if I think about the last few years, like one of the, and perhaps similar to Courtyard, one of the trends that we at New Street saw was just like the overall growth of collectibles, right? Particularly like 2020, 2021, arguably like COVID-induced. And that's led to a lot of things. One, just an, an up and to the right sort of interest in collectibles. Well, you know, arguably 2022 was for a variety of macroeconomic reasons too, and like the crypto market wasn't as, you know, fiery in a good way as 2021, but, you know, it's still a kind of up and to the right and then I think about my sort of prospects of where I see that growth continuing. I guess from that perspective of the macro behavior around collectibles, do you see collecting these physical, digital, cultural assets increasing? What do you think are like the factors that are contributing to this growth? And do you think that will sustain and continue in the future? I think you're right. I think you've, we've seen in the last two years, I mean, COVID was a, a, a huge factor. We all had like there was a stimulus check and like when you have like disposable income, you use that disposable income and things that are interesting to you, right? And so that's why like there's a huge resurgence of people in collecting and the prices of all those assets increase, right? There was a lot of money in the market. One thing that I noticed is because there was a lot of like growth in that segment, so many companies similar to ours have started and there's a lot of innovation that started in technology that went into the space. That space was not as technology focused until then. And so we see all that investment. It's kind of like all those companies have started building together. Like they start building different application and it's all kind of like coming together now because it takes time to build products, right? So that that's one of the trends. So it's going to be much more like frictionless, much more like better technology for that specific industry. The second piece I would say is around, I mean, the market right now, everything is, is still going down, but I actually like it. I, I don't like it personally, but like this is where good companies are being built because you cannot just launch any product and it's 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 blowing up, right? So you really need to try to find like 
what makes sense from a value to the consumer and really talk to those consumers. And that's where like good companies are being built there. Yeah, no, I'm I'm particularly bullish on a lot of the stuff happening. And, and I think also another like subcategory of that is like M&A, right? Like, for example, I was talking to and M&A also like in a variety of ways, like, I mean, Collectors Universe kind of rolling up some of these grading companies, Blackstone investing in companies like CCG. It's like, and Fanatics themselves. I mean, Fanatics is, yeah, is, they, they're looking to, to dominate a lot and they're doing great at this, right? Like they, they're taking a lot of different things. I speculate that they would launch their breaking product because it just makes so much sense for them, right? But yeah, they're this sort of, sort of consolidation of like big player an established player in the industry, definitely. Yeah, no, I, th- I think, which I think is a, a good thing overall in terms of like where this is going. And uh, yeah, so many use cases there. I mean, like before getting into like some of the, the current market dynamics and use cases, because I'm really interested to get your take on like specific industries and stuff. I mean, I also like asking people where their, some, some, something their personal interest comes from. So I know like, I mean, I was on the website of Courtyard and I liked how, I think you had like team profiles, right? And each person is like, oh, whatever the name is, she collects Pokemon cards. Oh, he he's a whatever a collector of, of sneakers, etc. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the the descriptor under you was one. Well, you DJ, right? Is that right? Or yeah, I was. So I I was a music producer. I I was actually managing music labels for YouTube. So my my previous role was the strategic partner manager. Like I was essentially the contact person for the top fifteen labels in the US. And I produced music on the side. I had one song that made like. I don't know, 700,000 views on Spotify, which is okay. I don't like that song anymore. But yeah, so at, at one point, I wanted to I wanted to be a, a DJ producer and spend some time. I spent so much, so much time on the studio there. But, but yeah, and personally, I love watches. Watches in my, whenever I have free time, I like to watch video about watches. And that's kind of like the, the thing. I, I got a lot into cards as well, launching Courtyard. But we have a lot of different collectors on the team. We have people like into sneakers that know every single release. They are on every single drop. Jake on our team is probably some of the most knowledgeable person I've met on the sneaker side of things. So we have a bit of everything, which is very interesting. Where does your own sort of like, I guess, because one of the things I hear as a, as a common trend sometimes when talking to people is the sort of collector mindset. And sometimes it comes from like, oh, when I was like eight years old, my my dad maybe was collecting watches or like my my older brother was a big fan of the sports team. That's how we started creating sports cards. So I think before diving into like, let's sort of talk about the macro f- like collector mindset for, from your personal perspective, like was watches something that you stumbled into where I don't know, maybe it was, was it like a parent that got you into it? Was it something that you, your friends influenced you? How did you get into watch specifically? And do you still collect today? You know? Yeah, I still do. So I think there's a lot of nostalgia for, in, in general, right? Like everything is related to nostalgia. You used to see those, see those watches and see those different types of assets, right? To me, it's more, I think my personality, when I like something, I just drill down and learn every single thing I can learn about a, a topic. And I, all I do is learn about that. Like I did that with poker recently where I got really into every single like strategy and move for poker and stuff like, like so I think it's depending on like the, the, the personality type. Right. And I love to know about like the model and the naming of the models and stuff like that. Right now for watch, it's even better with me because we are talking to all of like a lot of like the bigger brand name and we're talking to them about like building technology for them. Because I think like if we were to ever move to watches, we would need to work with the watch company itself to authenticate and provide value to them rather than having like a third party market on this. Like 
because Springs works also with some of them already. And so it's kind of a dream come true to to go to all of those all of those companies and, and talk to like my dream companies that I used to uh, like to look up to. So that's great. Yeah. What's the current state of like, because watches, to be honest, it's like not like an industry I'm super familiar with. Like we did, I did interview Justin Reese from Watchbox like many, many episodes ago, but, and like, I'm, I'm roughly familiar with like Hodinkee, you know, Chrono 24, but not, not an expert is our, our watches just as much like to some degree growing in terms of the interest in them. And also Let's take, let's say, because I'm also interested, like when it comes to like digitization, like let's say you're talking to a Rolex or whatever, right? Or maybe like a watch box, et cetera. The idea of creating a digital version of a watch to maybe like make it more tradable or for other benefits. I think about watches just from the outside as slightly even more like old school than some of these other ones, like trading cards or sneakers. What, what's your current take on like the watch market and, and how that differs from these other categories we're talking about? Yeah, so typically the watch market from what I've seen, the collectible side of things, you, you're talking about the higher bracket range. So it needs to be on the, like, should be collectible on the second hand, it needs to be on the 15K plus. And then it can go like a, a Richard Mille, for instance, you buy it $120,000 and it resells for 400000 right? So we're, we're talking about like different type of range from like sneakers. So it's a bit less accessible. It's a huge market. And my there's a lot of fakes as well. My whole point of it is I want to go to one of those brands and, and talk to them and say, like, I could not buy that watch in retail because it's too expensive, not too expensive, but it's, it's impossible to get it at retail. So I went on a secondhand website and I bought it. Guess what? You have no clue who I am as a consumer, even though I spent $50,000 on your brand. Number two, I'm not even sure it's an authenticated watch because who is the best person to authenticate the watch, the brand itself? You have distribution point on every single big city. I could have just like dropped my watch there and you don't make any money of that transaction and give everything to the third party dealer. So the, the, I think it makes so much sense to move there in the future. Now, there are technology to bring it because of course, none of those companies want to have their asset vaulted and just no, never worn, right? There are some technology that are being built towards that. So I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to change and we see Rolex to launch their own marketplace. For, for secondary there. So I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to move. We as Courtyard that I really want to focus on one category first, which is trading cards. And then we will expand everything we're building. We will expand to different types of category afterwards. Got it. Yeah, because I was, I was going to ask, and maybe I'll also ask this, like, it, it, so before diving into trading cards, because I'd love to get your take on like the nuances of that. But I mean, Again, like collectibles to me, like I can mean everything from like coins, you know, to like sneakers. Coin is much bigger than anything we like when I discovered the coin, it's a different demographic. Every single one of them is a different demographic. Like the person who goes to sneaker coin is not going to go to, is not going to go to the nationals for cards. He's not going to go to like the coin collecting conference, right? Those are very different demographic. And so that's why we focus on one first and really learn the technology and like build the technology for those and then use what we can do to, to leverage for others. So, so let's dive in on like cards, right? Because I think to myself, at least in my head, cards could mean, I think the two subcategories, the way I see it is like sports cards and like TCG, right? So like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic being the main ones from TCG and then sports cards right there. Like, do you, I think, are you bullish on like a certain sub-segment? I mean, it's all like, they're all growing, I would say. And it like depends on the specific audience looking for. Like, what's your sort of take on the subcategories that, are most interesting to you? Like, is it Pokemon or is it just really in general, like cards kind of fits the overall demographic of what Courtyard's targeting? 
So I think cards is very interesting. So you have for sports cards, you have like the vintage side of things and the, the newer stuff, right? The vintage has kept quite of its value. A lot of the big card dealer are focusing on vintage. And we're talking about like $250,000 card, like higher value assets. Um, the, a lot of the new people who came into the hobby are focusing on like more recent stuff. The challenge with the more recent stuff is that there is a lot of printing, right? And there is a lot of different like one of one and so on. And so it's getting hard to understand like how rare a card is. But a lot of it is focused on the players. So people who love sports is like, I can collect something. I love the player. I love the sport. And it keeps its value or increasing value potentially, right? So it's very tied to like, hey, is this player going to break? His, like if the player breaks the leg, the card goes down in value because he's not going to have a good season. So it's a lot tied to the actual market on the, the sports side of things, which is interesting. And then like things like Pokemon and Magic like are constantly keeping their value and they're more like linked to the overall market of collecting and the overall market of card if the overall market of card increase then those cards will start to increase no yeah. I, I think what's interesting too is i think everyone and by everyone i mean like companies that are behind trading cards let's say the pokemon company or wizards of the coast and fanatics you know panini etc i think they're all sort of aware of there being a digital opportunity, but we don't know exactly. Well, we meaning like if I was working at Fanatics right now or Panini, I wouldn't necessarily know the exact strategy I should take right now. But we have like a we have an idea like, okay, how do we create like more digital experiences? Right. I, I guess from, from what you're seeing, like how how do you think this plays out? Because I know, like, for example, like Pokemon recently, you know, posted a web three job. Yeah, I remember. And of course, you have like Tops, NFT, Panini, like Prism, I think NFT versions. I, it's it's interesting because I think at the same time, like we mentioned earlier, like there's M&A, right? Where like eBay acquired TCG player, you have Blackstone investments, like Collectors Universe. Preface, I'm not, I don't expect you to predict the future here, but like how do you see like these trends playing out in terms of how the digital world is becoming a more relevant part of the traditional card world? I think it's all based on the market. So we were at the big conference there and the biggest challenge is not actually the technology yet. I think it's more of like having consumer wanting to have that. So I think when it started, NFT were the big thing, right? Instagram web building, you can post an NFT on Instagram. Now they remove that that feature. Like they're sunsetting that feature. So I think everything was being built there. And at the time last year, at the same conference, everyone was working on NFT. Like Beckett was announcing the NFT strategy. PwC was announcing the NFT project. Every single collectors like PSC, they were, they were all launching their own NFT and they're putting a lot of resource on this. Now we see that the NFT market dropped by 99%. And so it's not as a focus to me for, for a lot of those brands. And there is a very negative stigma for collectors to say like, it's just a digital thing. I don't want to, dig I like to hold my physical, right? And so one of the challenge we have is re-educating those people to say, no, 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 no. It's actually tied to something physical and it's just a better way to trade. But then those people are like, what is a gas fee? What is a crypto wallet? I'm going to lose my thing and so on. So I think like we, and that's what we are working on is making it from a consumer standpoint that you don't even realize you're using blockchain, even if you are using blockchain. Because blockchain gives you more ownership and gives you more, gives you more transparency on what's happening. And so I think that needs to be cracked. Like so many people were like, if there is no fiat payment, I cannot. And so 
it needs to be like a, a, a fiat payment system to be able to transfer, for instance, transfer an NFT. And so there's still the, this technology gap and the challenge is that we were too focused on talking about the technology behind it and try to say like, NFTs are better, blockchain is better, you should use blockchain. And they were like, I'm fine with how I am, right? So we need to show them the value and they will come without realizing it. And I think it's going to happen 100%. I just think like there's this gap that needs to be fixed first. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say even like, you know, as someone who's very bullish on NFTs in general and but also very, I'm not naive. <laughs> nice, oh, okay, oh, you know what's up, yeah. It, it's, it's just, I still also think like the, it's not an order of magnitude benefit to like the average collector. Like, let's say, like if I've been collecting baseball cards for the last 20 years, like I get, I, I mean, you and I could, you know, get into a room and pitch a person on why they should be like considering a digital version of that. But I wouldn't say that like it's a mainstream movement so far where everybody's going to do it. And, but I do see things like, you know, like, was it Ticketmaster? Like, I think ticketing to me is something that makes sense where, right. Where like, if I get a digital version and that, that leads to benefits, and it's it's like also part like mem- like memorabilia for me that makes sense. It's just like I see a lot of I don't want to say convincing, but like a lot of behavior still needs to gravitate towards that. And I don't know how long it'll take, but of course, like for my side too, I also believe it's going to happen. So how we how we see it is kind of like you know this like a diagram uh, where the conversion is to turn into an NFT, right? But we. Initially, when I wanted to just focus on that, they say, you send your asset to us and you're going to convert it as an NFT. And we realized like, that's not the right approach. We need to bring value up there and bring them to love the brand and start sending. Because if you're a startup, even if you have brinks, it's like, why would I send my asset to you if I'm not sure you're going to sell it back afterwards on the blockchain? And so we did two things. Like number one, we were providing like, if you send your asset to us and you sell that asset, we would share back some of the profit that we will make on that asset for all the sales of that NFT. So if your NFT, like you bring your, you send your asset and you have a connected collectible, so you go to Quarter.io send your asset. If you sell it to someone and that asset sells like 50 times, you would make 50 times 1% of those transactions. Um, so that's how to bring back value to you as a consumer and give you incentive. The second piece we're focusing on is we realize everybody loves our 3D models. So we, we, we build this technology where we can scale 3D models and we might offer that for consumers who are not ready to ship their card, they will be able to pay and it will be something along the line like, well, I don't know, like they would pay some money, they would get that 3D model in their account, it would be not vaulted, they could click to vault it and if they vault it, it's free. So those are the type of things because a lot of people, they saw we were at the conference, we were digitalizing people's card and they were like, my card looks so cool. And they're like, wow. And so maybe we want to offer that, but it's free if you vault it, but you can just pay to get your card digitized and you just send us pictures or a nice thing and you get this cool 3D model. Like those are the type of things we're trying to meet them where they are and bring them where we think it should be. Yeah, I think that 3D model point is so interesting because to me, like abstracting that at like a macro level, that's part of the UX, right? Sometimes I've seen like companies be like, okay, create a physical asset into digital. Let's just create like a, a photo. I mean, not, not a photo of it, but you know, like, like just like a very simple digital image. But the fact that you go just like that one step further to make like a high quality digital, like 3D model that like, I think that's a very powerful insight in terms of what actually gets people to care, right? It's like you're adding that much more, which doesn't take you that much more time, I would imagine. I mean, sure, it does take you require. Yeah, yeah, as I was saying, like, yeah, I'm not saying that, but it's not like, it's not like a hundred X more effort than like, yeah, but it, it, it's just like, 
it, it's like a UX. That's a very powerful UX insight, I think. So I'm like, that's really great that you're doing that. Yeah, and I think it's if you own something digitally, it needs to be more than a picture to me. That's that's all. Like otherwise, I can just take a picture of my collection on my phone and show you my phone. Do Do you see a world where digital only, and I'm keeping this open ended, digital only collectibles are take take the mind share and wallet share of of physical and digital ones. And what I mean by that, it's like, let's say NFTs themselves, but let's say like, let's say sports collectible trade, like ones like let's say NBA top shot or NFTs that are given out by other NBA teams or football teams, let's say so rare, et cetera, um, things like that. Do you see a world where people, some people have just physical only collectibles, digital only physical and digital. Is there any cannibalization that comes there? Like, like what, what about the behavior of people across physical and digital world do you think will be different from the way it is right now? I think definitely cannibalization is a key thing because what do collectible overall take? They take your time because you learn about it, you spend time about it. And if I spend some time in a digital collectible project, I won't spend time looking into watches, right? And disposable income, right? So if I have $10,000 or $1,000 to spend on something, if I buy a tip of... Pro- so, like, I mean, definitely, I think we're still sometimes ahead for like mass adoption of digital collectible. I see a future where if the question is like, are we going to spend more time in the internet, like online in the next 10 years than we do today? If the answer is yes, then your digital presence is more important than it, it will be more important than it is today, right? And similar to people walking around with like a Chanel bag, like they are passionate about like bags or the brand. And so they would want to express themselves in the digital space because that's where people are and that's where they want to express their identity. And right now we can do that with profile pictures and you can show that you have a CryptoPunk or like Amigos or whatever and you're part of that community, but you cannot yet bring more than that for now. And so I, I see a world where this will be brought to the digital space and you would integrate it in video games, in online communities and so on, and it will be a key part of it. I, I think another sort of benefit that I've heard a lot described of like the sort of digitization of the physical asset comes from things that relate to, let's say, more financial access around things like fractionalization, right? You can more easily fractionalize a high value collectible if it's tokenized. You can then take a loan against it if you use as collateral. And I guess that kind of becomes a sort of intersection of like NFTs and DeFi, you know, which is kind of getting a bit more into like the crypto side of stuff. But what what is, what are the stuff that, what's the stuff you're seeing there? Because I would imagine maybe like, and, and I don't want to assume like on the roadmap for the future, whether it's Courtyard or another company, I see a world where, you know, maybe the fractionalization, which I'm already seeing some startups doing, the collateralization for loans, that I think will just continue to grow. Is that something also a priority for you maybe in the future or is that something you're like following as well? So we see ourselves as a centralized trusted entity that digitize, that turn physical into digital and digital back to physical, right? Because there needs to be that part. I, I see really like the beauty of the blockchain is interoperability. You can use various companies for different things and they can all work because any company can check that you own a courtyard NFT in your wallet and you own the fully one. And they know that because we're this trusted entity, they know that it's backed by something physical. We want to be the piece that is like the door between physical, digital, digital to physical. Now, if you want a digital collectible from Courtyard, like a connected collectible, you can do whatever you want with it. 
So you could go to a different protocol and fractionalize it if you want to. You can go to a different protocol and borrow money against it, right? And that's the beauty of blockchain because we don't need to build everything. We want to build the best, most secure bridge between the two. And then it unlocks all the possibilities you have in the digital space and all what DeFi offers and so on. So this is really where we see. So to, to answer it, we're not going to build it. We might partner with right, like very different companies, but you can already work with them to, to do it. Got it. Now, you know, we, we've talked a lot about different areas, like across different collectibles, trends, you know, whether it's physical, digital, et cetera. Are there other, like out of everything that we've discussed, like, is there anything missing that you're following? Like, what, what kind of stuff are you excited about as like a trend or new technology? Maybe we haven't discussed here. Maybe, maybe it's, I don't know, like an element of Yu-Gi-Oh cards you think is really interesting. Like, what, what, what's some of the exciting stuff you're following right now that we haven't maybe mentioned yet? I think social selling and breaks. The it needs to be fun. Like it's it's a hobby at the end of the day, right? People need to feel like it's exciting. It should be more than just I buy something, I have it, it's increasing in value. Okay, there is a financial component with like collecting, right? Because it's increasing value or like you believe it's gonna increase in value, but it needs to be fun. And I feel like companies like whatnot have changed the way we look at it because it brings so much fun and new things. And from a consumer standpoint, like so many people on my team were like, I never bought a card, I spend an hour and whatnot, and I just spend $500. Just because it brings that dimension of like this thrill of like, I don't know what's behind this pack. And we all have that nostalgia of like opening a pack. Would it be Pokemon or baseball or whatever? And not knowing like, is it going to be a holo card behind it? or? And so we want to make sure we bring that to the digital space back. Because the beauty of blockchain is everything is transparent. There's a lot of like, you don't know if people already opened the pack, removed the good card, resealed the pack. There's a lot of like fraud that happens on that. The beauty of blockchain is like everything is online. So you can always check that the card inside this digital pack will never change. Those are the type of things. And so you could think of things like repacks, digital repacks for dealers, where they could say like, I want to do here's the top three chase cards, similar to NBA Top Shot, top three chase card. Here are a list of like, 500 cards that you could get. And so you see everything is transparent. If I buy that pack for $100, I know I could get those two three or three chase cards and here are all the cards I could get. You would buy it, open the pack, and you could actually have the dealer say for each card, I'm willing to buy it back at that price. And so you could keep it as an NFT or resell it directly to the dealer who would buy it back and repack it again. So that, I mean, those are the type of things we're working on to really provide this fun experience of like breaking in a digital space linked to physical asset. No, it's a very, very exciting time. And I, I look forward to seeing what you at Courtyard do next around all this different stuff. So many th- exciting things happening. Um, I, I I know we're kind of slightly running out of time here, but I, I'd love to get your answers to the last two questions, which are the same ones I ask, you know, everyone in the podcast. The first being, you know, where can people find you across social media, website of Courtyard, whatever you'd like. And then what's one last message you'd like to leave with the audience? So you can find us on courtyard.io and you might pronounce it better because my French accent. So courtyard, like it, it's similar to like a, a, a playground, like a courtyard, like Mario courtyard.io. So you can, you can go on our website. We keep on adding new things. So we're very reactive. So you, the website is going to change quite a bit in the next few, few weeks as well. We keep on launching new feature. You can actually ship assets to us. If you live in the US, you can simply log in and we create a shipping label for free that's insured that goes directly to Brinks. 
and you send us graded cards, you will get those graded cards in your wallet within within four four or five days maximum. So you it goes to Brinks, they take it, it's all insured. You get this card as a digital card. You can redeem it whenever you want. So if you want to decide to redeem your card, you can do that for free. And you can trade it on the blockchain right now. So there's this category of called connected collectible. So if you go on OpenSea and you type that, it's a new category that's specific for that where you see all the types of cars we have. And some people are sending us quite a bit, like we just had a, like an Iron Judge, one of one $60,000 card sent last week, for instance. We had a bunch of like LeBron 101. So take a look. There might be some cars that you're interested in. Yeah, we, we're very excited to, to bring something new to that. And we will launch soon the ability to digitize your card with just a picture where you would pay for it just to get the digital part that you can flex on social media, for instance. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time, Nicola. I look forward to maybe having you on again in the future as, as you know, the space has developed, as Courtyard develops. So thank you so much for taking the time, man. Thank you for listening to the New Street X podcast. You can learn more about the guest in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe across YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and more. Thank you so much. See you next time.